At last, this morning, we come to the final chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. It's been a good trip. It's been a good journey through Philippians. Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible. My favorite chapter is Romans 8. My favorite verse is Romans 15, 13. But Philippians is my favorite book. I am thankful for the pastoral staff here and for the way they have taught us so well. In this final and summary chapter, we're going to find that a few of the lessons that have already been taught in the book of Philippians will be repeated in one form or another. But in this final chapter, you're going to learn the two basic reasons for the book of Philippians. One is to be a thank you note to the church for their goodness to him, for taking up a collection and sending it along to help him. The other reason is to correct two women who were dividing the church and hurting the church by their actions. They had a feud going on between them and it had spread far and wide. As a matter of fact, Paul was told about it sitting in a prison cell in Rome a long ways from Philippi. That situation needed to be corrected, and he did. Now, before I take you into the first five verses of chapter 4, I wish to warn you that this poses some problems. It brings up some situations where there's tension between people in the church, and I want you to be aware that that's coming. You may not agree with all that I have as opinions about it. At one point in the message, I'm going to share an opinion, really an observation, but an opinion, and I will identify it as such because I don't want you to think that the Scripture says anything that it really does not say. I believe that it's vital for you to see what God has to say in Philippians 4. So if for whatever reason you came this morning and don't have a copy of God's Word to read, our men will have copies, and if you would raise a pinky, they would be so glad to present you with a copy of God's Word for this morning, and I would want you to do that. I've been around Newcastle here for 38 years now. Some of you have been here longer than I have and I'm grateful for your steadfastness. I've often laughed with Pastor Slappy because his story is that he's been here for a lifetime because he was carried into the one-room schoolhouse after his birth uh, when he came to church there. So he's got everybody else beat one way or the other. But you must understand that my length of time here does not of itself give me the right to say anything that's not in accord with Scripture. So, fasten your seatbelts, tighten the chin strap on your helmet. We're going to go into Philippians chapter 4, and as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment for the reading of God's Word, but also I'm going to ask you to remain standing for just a moment as we pray. Would you please? Philippians chapter 4.
Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Summer's translation of that final sentence, God is watching. Pray with me. Father, this is not an easy text to study, not an easy text to teach. As Scripture says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. May your Holy Spirit teach us now as we open our minds to your truth. I pray that through the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. There are several effective ways to parse this text into bite-sized chunks. Mine is very simple. It'll go like this. We will speak of a charge to remain. We are given a charge in verse 1. Stand fast in the Lord. And then in verses 2 and 3, we'll speak about a challenge to reconcile. Two women who had faced off with each other and were waiting for the first one to blink, Iodias and Syntyche, had to be told what there was to do in order to reconcile. And that challenge is made, and someone is selected to see to it that they do it. And then in verses 4 and 5, we will speak of a call to rejoice. Paul draws a conclusion in verse 1. He starts the verse with a therefore. Therefore. Before he gives us a charge to remain, he draws a conclusion. He draws a therefore. He looks back over what he has already written in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The therefore could very well be a because, so that in other words, all of these other things being true, because of that, this is what you are to do. You are to stand fast. What has he taught us through this little book? Have you reviewed it in your mind? Can you think it through? He has already taught us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. He has taught us that the mind of Christ is to control our minds. He has taught us that we are to forget the things of the past and press on towards the things that are ahead. He has taught us to be faithful in loving the Lord and willing to share in his sufferings. Strange idea. He has taught us to hold on to the pure gospel. Nothing else matters. He has taught us to live out a life of faithfulness to Christ. In fact, he has taught us that we can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens us. This is a lifetime assignment. Therefore, therefore, 
stand fast in the Lord. Now between the therefore and the stand fast are some of the sweetest, most loving compliments that you will ever read in God's Word. In fact, I reread the book of Philippians and noted some of the things that he calls these people and says to them. He calls them saints right off the bat in chapter 1. He says to them, I have you in my heart. He says, um, you are partakers of grace with me. He says, I long for you all. He says, I pray for you all with joy. He calls them brethren again and again and again in the book of Philippians. Here in chapter 4, he refers to them as his beloved and longed for brethren. And then he caps it off by saying, you people are my joy and my crown. Wow. Therefore, because that's who you are to me, and that's who you are to the Lord, stand fast in the Lord. Therefore, because God will take care of the fakes and the phonies, your place is to plant your feet and make up your mind that you will not be moved from your place in God's plan. At the close of this service, I've asked that we sing the little two-line song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. This isn't a game. We don't get out of it that easy. No turning back. The second verse says, though none go with me, I still will follow. If everybody else turns back, I'm not turning back. No turning back. Third verse says, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. I'm headed toward the cross, toward glory, toward Jesus crucified. And everything else takes a back seat. Therefore, stand fast in the Lord. If you have to, Drive a stake in the ground somewhere and say, here I take my stand. I can do no other. I've come this far. I'm not going back to the old ways. I'm not going back to the old life. No turning back. In the book of Philippians, we've met some people that we are to follow. We have them as examples and we ought to learn from them and from their lives because we are safe to follow them. Paul actually said to people as he taught, follow me as I follow Christ. This is like the good father who can say to his kids, you can go where I go. You can read what I read. You can watch what I watch. You can drink what I drink. There's a, an openness and a rightness about a father teaching his children, come with me, we'll go together and follow the Lord. Here, there are some people to follow. In Philippians, the list isn't anything like the 16th chapter of Romans, which lists more than 30 
people that are safe to follow. But here you've met Paul, and you've met Timothy, and you've met Clement, and you've met Epaphroditus. And those are people who are safe to follow. People who are safe to pattern yourself from. There are also some people to avoid. They aren't the real thing. They aren't thinking biblically. They're not being led by God's Holy Spirit. It isn't safe to be like them. And the world is full of them. Well, if you want the trilogy, there's someone to watch for. We're looking for our Lord to return. Jesus is coming again. And the way to be ready for him to arrive is to stand fast in the Lord. It's a charge to remain. Now this is Philippians, and the book that precedes it is Ephesians. So I'm not going to run you around the scriptures. I'm going to say turn two pages back, just two pages, to the sixth chapter, the final chapter of the book of Ephesians. In Philippians 1, the verse reads, Therefore, and after the compliments and the loving things he says about them, so stand fast in the Lord. So the order is, therefore, stand. In Ephesians, the order is reversed. I have no idea why. It's just that it's there. In verse 11 of chapter 6, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And then verse 14, Stand therefore. Back to Philippians chapter 4 where the order is, therefore, because of what I've already taught you, stand, stand fast in the Lord. You are to remain steadfast, not waffling, not waving, standing, and standing forever where you stand when you come to Christ. And now the egg hits the fan. Not only was there a charge to remain in verse 1, but... Now there's a challenge to reconcile. This fascinates me. These two women, Yodius and Syntyche, had at one time, according to this very piece of Scripture, been faithful workers in the gospel. They had worked together with each other, and they had worked together with Paul. They served with Paul and Clement, and that's stated right here. They were workers in the gospel. They were friends. They were co-laborers in some of the activities of their church. What the dispute is over between them is not said here. Why they had become enemies is not stated here. But they are told to stop. Not eventually, but stop now to learn to agree with each other, to learn to think alike, because you allow the mind of Christ to control your mind. They are told 
that they don't have to become clowns. You don't have to become a clone of anybody. And don't let anybody try to force you in a mold like that. They didn't become clones. That wasn't what was asked. But they were both to come under the control of the thinking of Jesus Christ. When there's a dispute between two in a church or more, at least one of the two is not being led by the Holy Spirit. Maybe that both of them are not being led by the Holy Spirit, but when there's a dispute or a difference, I don't care whether it's over some biblical thing or the color of the carpet, when there's a dispute or a difference, at least one of them is not under the control of God's Holy Spirit. They heard about Paul, the church did, being in jail in Rome. I think it's very hard for us to imagine what that must have been like. If the shackles on your ankles and your wrists were rubbing your skin raw, in Latin they would say, tough rocks. They didn't care. If you didn't get good reception on the TV in your cell, they didn't care. If you didn't get three nutritious meals every day, they didn't care. As a matter of fact, you were going to lose a lot of weight unless you had friends and relatives that would supply you with what you needed while you were in prison because they didn't care. And when the church heard that Paul was in a Roman prison, they took up a collection. And why they didn't send it by certified check or a money order, I have no idea. But they selected one of their trusted men, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, and made him their messenger. And they gave him this collection and had him deliver it. The church sent him on his way, and while he was with Paul, he got very, very, very sick. In fact, he almost died, and that's told us here in this book of Philippians. When he has come back to some measure of health, he is to return home, back to Philippi, back to his church. But he's not going back empty-handed. He's going back carrying the original letter to the Philippians. We don't have it anymore, but this is a copy of it, a faithful copy of it. And Epaphroditus struggled carrying this burden with him, the scroll, and went back to the church at Philippi. When the Sunday services came, he took the scroll and went to church. And after they had sung some songs with guitars and a piano and drums and listened to the announcement, they watched a welcome video that Connie Johnson had made during the week earlier. 
They filled out their attendance cards, set a good example for the rest of you. And then Epaphroditus stood up and he unrolled this scroll. The letter to the Philippians was there, and he cleared his throat and began to read. So far, so good. They heard how much they were loved over and over again, sprinkled throughout the book, are words of affection and deep love and care. But can you, in your imagination, see the looks on the faces of Yodius and Syntyche when he got to what we call chapter 4? And they were there by name, read to the whole church publicly. In front of the whole church, they were told exactly what they were to do. And a third party, Syzygis, is told to work with them to see to it that this breach is resolved. I think Paul could handle it this way because the stench of what was going on in Philippi had reached his ears. The situation was so bad that he felt safe in addressing it publicly. Now, I need to say in their defense that these two gals are not old crabs. They had worked faithfully in the church. They had worked with Paul in the cause of the gospel. I think that's a hint that even the best of us is capable of getting off track. Failing to practice Christ-like unity. It can happen. At one time, these two had worked together with Paul and others to carry out Paul's ministry. But something had happened. They divided over something. And now... Both of them are nursing a hateful, bitter, unforgiving spirit. Their conflict reached Rome. It was hurting the work of the gospel in their community. That's the way it always is. Conflict affects a church, and it affects the community of that church. Now, I take it that their conflict was not over some major doctrinal difference. We are not to stand on our own personal opinions at the expense of Christian unity and harmony. Paul makes no effort whatever to find out who is at fault or to specify who has to make the first move toward reconciliation. He doesn't wait to find out who will blink first. You see, believers do not have the option of just letting this difference go. Just burying the problem and going on with life. They do not. The cause of the gospel is larger by far than our opinions or our so-called rights Paul is not advocating for unity at the expense of truth, but unity that reaches far beyond our personal hurts and ideas. Now for an opinion. It's my opinion. 
It's been forged over the last 50 years. What I'm about to say is just an observation of the way things work. By the way, just to get into my opinion, I love David Grethy, and I enjoy my relationship with him. We haven't been together for a long time, but I like David Grethy. And one of the things I like about him is that he walks to church. When Glenn Frank and I are at the north door, you can see David coming. He lives up at the corner of Chaffer Road and so on, and he comes a-walking down there. We've had him walk in when it was a nasty day out, either bitter cold or raining, drizzling. And it makes me think, because I think he's the only one who walks to church. Everybody else gets there by car. Some of them come 15 minutes drive each way. Some of them come 20 minutes drive. Some of them come 25 minutes drive. And I have a sneaking hunch that some of them come even farther than that. Hang on, don't get ahead of me. If Newcastle was a little church in a little town that was isolated, far away from other towns and other churches. And trouble reared its ugly head. We would be quick to want that resolved. It would be necessary for it to be resolved. If I don't go to church here, where do I go? I need to see this thing healed quickly. If this was a family and one of your kids got picked up by the police, you don't disown them or throw them out. They don't leave home never to return. The family comes together and clusters around them. We don't approve of whatever it was you did, but we love you regardless. Here's a church, and it's in an isolated town. And it's the only church in town. And there's trouble. Everybody in the church wants that ironed out. We want to be of one mind. We want to love each other. But a church that's surrounded by other churches everywhere, other towns filled with churches, it makes it easier to just pack it up and go someplace else. Because there are lots of some place else's, if you get my drift. To stay and work on the problem, to tackle the problem instead of tackling each other, that's the hard work of unity, and it's necessary. People who've been in a church for a long time, a bunch of years, sometimes many years, will walk away. That's amazing to me. That's absolutely amazing to me. They teach their kids by example that if you have a problem, you hit the bricks. You say, sayonara, see you later, 
Bye-bye. In effect, these people sneak out the back window at midnight and they get in their car and don't slam the door and they leave the headlights off until they've gotten past the curve. It isn't until some time later and you begin to think, I haven't seen Herman and Gertrude for a while. Wonder what's happened with them. Oh, you haven't seen them either? They're gone. That's amazing. That is not their right. You've made it. End of opinion. Take a deep breath. There's just one more matter here in our text, and it deserves our attention. There was a charge to remain. Stand fast in the Lord. There was a challenge to reconcile. I want you to submit to the mind of Christ. There's also a call to rejoice. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. God is watching. This is not the first time in the book of Philippians we've been told to rejoice. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, I rejoice and will rejoice when the word of God is proclaimed. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And in verse 17, I rejoice with you all. And in verse 18, I want you to rejoice with me. In fact, toward the end of that chapter, in verse 28 of chapter 2, I want you to rejoice when Epaphroditus returns. In chapter 3, verse 1, says rejoice in the Lord. And in verse 3, he says rejoice in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 4, verse 4, you are to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I repeat to you, rejoice. In fact, go down to verse 10, and it says, I rejoiced over your care for me. Philippians is a thank you note. I think we're supposed to rejoice. Eleven times in four chapters, the word rejoice appears. The situation with Yodius and Syntyche was so serious in part because it was destroying the rejoicing of the church. Church had become a battleground. If you entered the family center of the Philippian Community Church and stood at the back, there'd be a cluster of people over here around Yodius. All of her followers, the people who agreed with her on this issue. And if you looked over here to the right, there'd be Sintiki, and all of her relatives and friends would be clustered around her. And these two women would be sitting like this. That ought not so to be. And church had become a polarized place. Now, if you know what I'm about to teach about heresy and heretics, just use this as a review. If it's new to you, swallow it. 
The word for heretic, if you trace its etymology, means to cut or to divide. That's what heresy does. That's what a heretic does. Are you with me on this? Yeah. It cuts and divides. Whose side are you on? It cuts and divides. Do you agree with me on this? Yeah. Us three brothers grew up with a Irish setter named Rusty. Very clever, inventive name, obviously. <laughs> After Artie and I got married, we had an English setter named Freckles, another very clever name. We hunted pheasants over those two dogs. I shot my first pheasant over those two dogs. One day, my mom called Artie and said, why don't you come on out for dinner? It'd be nice to have the family around the table again. So we did. You don't turn down invitations to mom's dinner. And we threw Freckles in the car and brought him with us. I put Freckles in the pen in the backyard with Rusty and everything was just fine. We had a long dinner and sat and laughed and talked and picked on each other and all the stuff that was part of being around our dinner table. And after dinner, my sister Nancy went out and she leaned over the fence and began petting the dogs. Perfect. Only the one who was getting an ear scratch was enjoying it thoroughly and the other one shouldered him out of the way so that he could get an ear scratch. And that one came back, you know, in third grade when you get hit, you always hit back harder. That one came back, boom, pushed him out of the way to get an ear scratch. And pretty soon, we had two pretty good-sized dogs rolling on the ground, barking and chewing on each other for all they were worth. I jumped over the fence and grabbed the leash that was over the gate and whacked at that mass of rolling dogs until they stopped like this. And I grabbed my dog and threw him out of the pen and stopped the fight. And then I stood there and shook. I literally shook. Nobody in their right mind wants to get in the middle of a dogfight. When a church is a loving collection of people who guard the unity of the church, people who love each other lavishly, people who obey what we've already been taught in Philippians to esteem others better than themselves, people who are in it for the long haul, people who care deeply. It's easy to be a part of a church like that. It's just as natural as can be. And it gives you great reasons to rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Newcastle I read this past week that there are, according to the statisticians, eight billion people alive on this earth at this moment, give or take three. And three billion of those eight billion don't know the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, 
The statisticians claim that 155,000 a day die without having known Jesus. I think we've got work to do. And I don't think we ought to allow anything to divert us from that task. Paul said, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Father, thank you for Philippians. Thank you for what it teaches. Thank you for what you say to us through that letter to the Philippian believers. I'm going to have to believe that Iodius and Syntyche reconciled and became faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus in that place and that the unity of the church was restored. I'm asking you to move in our hearts that we love you supremely and submit to you completely. And I ask that through the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.